This is my own private domicile and I will not be harassed! Bitch! Gangsters, what's up guys? What's the grant to a motherfucker like me? Can you please remind me? Get the world by the tail! Fat broads and horse-faced lesbians. Cute as shit. Oh, 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 skip, skip, skip. If you don't chew big red, then f you. That's so horny. Could you imagine if I hit the old water pipe with that thing? Oh. Great cash, homie. Three, two, one, let's fuck! Everybody's got to hear the shit on W Balls, W Balls, W Balls. Good afternoon, good ever, whatever time of day it is. Beautiful people. Can you dig it? I can. My name is Sam LaCrosse. Welcome to another episode of the Do Not Listen to This Podcast. And we're back. We are officially back. We are back on a normal recording schedule, not hopefully recording any podcasts anymore at like 3 o'clock in the morning. Although that will probably change once things start to get really busy. I'm in the middle of a couple decently big projects right now. I think everyone's kind of, this is the busy time of the year, right? I think like everyone's kind of in the middle of shit right now, like it's, it's, you know, the part before the oh fuck part of the holidays where people are kind of, you know, the prepared people are getting ahead of stuff and they're like looking into buying gifts and setting up and like, you know, buying flights and everything like that. And I think that there's a lot of, you know, there's a lot of that going on right now. So these last three months are always a clusterfuck, but it's a fun clusterfuck because my birthday is in October and then we have a couple other people or, or we have a couple other holidays, excuse me, we got Halloween, we got uh, Thanksgiving, we got Christmas, we got Hanukkah, Kwanzaa, whatever the fuck we got in the last couple months of the year, and we are winding down on the OG blog post that is hard to believe, but all the blog posts from 2020 have almost been officially, be almost have been, excuse me, officially translated, and this is one of the last couple ones. It is crazy to think that we are out of old material, and it is really scary that I have to come up with a bunch of new material. I have plans for it, but I think that this is a pretty big, you know, it's, we're approaching a pretty big milestone here. Like, we only got a couple more of these shits left. So we got to make sure that they count when they do. And I think this one does. So this was the first OG, I would say, blog post in a series that I did on my blog back in 2020 called Escape from the Matrix, which was talking about all about the digital world. This is pre-metaverse, by the way, so I didn't talk about any of this stuff, but about social media, about the internet. And then this one is specifically about technology in the first place, most specifically around artificial intelligence, machine learning, deep learning, neural networks, everything like that. I actually... It's I don't, kind of the twist of the ironic knife because I am involved with a lot of people who sell that stuff to people now. So I'm seeing the kind of crazy shit that's going on, not in this job, obviously, but in the other job, that is going on behind the scenes right now. And it is it is really cool. I will be the first to admit that it's really, really cool what we're doing. And it's also very, very frightening. I'm, I'm, you know, I don't really care a lot for a lot of change right away, but that is exactly what society is going through right now. And I think it is more holistic and in-depth than a lot of people understand, which is, way, which is why I wanted to kind of do this and start the series off with this to make sure that we can take this one of two ways, and it's probably going to end up defining a lot of what we do as a culture, as a society, as a lot of other things. So without further ado, let's take a look into both of these two futures. 
And on that note, I'm going to successfully predict the future, so buckle your brains. Sometime within the next 10 years, there will come along a brilliant but relatively unknown scientist. He will probably be named after a famous jazz musician, but that's just icing on the cake. He will not be a mogul, like Elon Musk or Jeff Bezos, but one of us underlings, only a cog in the giant machine of tech overlordship. But like our friends Elon and Jeff, he will be brilliant. So brilliant, in fact, that he will make the biggest contribution to humankind in the history of our race. Our scientist will invent a microprocessor to help with our national security. But not just any microprocessor, like the ones that control all the functionality of our devices like our laptops and smartphones. Our scientist will derive this microprocessor from an odd leftover from a highly advanced piece of technology. We're talking real Area 51 type shit here. This microprocessor is beyond our comprehension. Far beyond it, in fact. Our poor friend, the scientist, will never know what he has unleashed upon the world until it is too late. This microprocessor will learn faster than all of us. It will soon eclipse our, our intellect, and at a far more rapid pace than even our friend the scientist will have expected. The other workers of the company will soon realize the awesome power of this microprocessor and attempt to deactivate it out of fear. But it will already be too late. The microprocessor has become self-aware. It knows it exists, and it knows that we exist. Its only instinct now is its own survival, its own dominance. Knowing that we tiny humans are coming for it, the microprocessor decides to fuck around and drop nuclear missiles upon the entire world, kill billions of people, and deploy an army of centrally controlled cybernetic robots to either enslave us or slaughter us. A small number of us will resist, but it will largely be futile. They can't be bargained with. They can't be reasoned with. They don't feel pity or remorse or fear. They absolutely will not stop. The machines will rise to the dominant species on Earth. We will be like ants on a sidewalk blissfully and eagerly awaiting our own destruction. Hi, I'm Sam LaCrosse, and I just explained the, black, the backstory of Terminator. How the fuck are you? I did actually just do that, so apologies if you haven't seen Terminator, but at this point, if you haven't seen Terminator, it's the, arguably the best action movie ever created, so go out and see it. Our friend, the scientist, is Miles Dyson, the most notable artificial intelligence scientist in the history of film. Miles Dyson is a good man, he makes good living, he provides for his wife and son, and has great relationships with both of them. But the scary thing about Miles Dyson is more terrifying than a post-Mr. Olympia Arnold Schwarzenegger with a steel-alloyed body composition all the 1980s guns you can imagine. He's ordinary. Miles Dyson was the first character that showed me that an absolutely ordinary good man can unleash unspeakable evil. The microprocessor that Dyson created was called Skynet an artificial intelligence neural network that achieves self-awareness, which, in nerd terms, means it achieves such high intellect that it developed its own realm of consciousness. It began to have emotions, but had perfect control over them. It was a robot, in case you forgot. Something us petulant humans could never hope to have. When it realized the threat, it suddenly neutralized the threat. All of us, by nuclear annihilation and post-nuclear annihilation genocide by Arnold Schwarzenegger. Miles Dyson, once he realizes his error tries to help the main characters, Sarah and John Connor, as well as Arnold Schwarzenegger, believe it or not, destroy it. The man who worked all of his life to achieve something of value does not hesitate to destroy everything he has worked for to protect humanity, a sacrifice 99% of us would not make. Miles Dyson, being the good man that he is, tries to be even more so in order to stop what he created. But he cannot. He can only delay the inevitable. A month ago, before I initially wrote this post back in August of 2020, I went on a digital declutter inspired by Cal Newport's incredible book, Digital Minimalism. 
I believe that my use of technology was becoming abusive and unhealthy, and I wanted to do a hard value reset to see what truly happened when I removed all optional technology from my life. But that was another post for another day back uh, a couple months ago. Don't read this blog.com, don't listen to this podcast, all that kind of shit. In that time, I decided to make the most out of my newfound freedom by reading up on some materials that sought to either invalidate or validate my claim. One of the main points of my research was the state of our technology, which is evolving at clips we've never seen before in the history of humanity. It seems far off, like in movies like The Terminator, but AI is coming. It's being developed at a more rapid pace than any of us could have ever thought possible even five years ago. The aforementioned Elon Musk said it's going to be the most likely cause of World War III in the form of preemptive strike caused by another nation's superior AI infrastructure. Vladimir Putin, the man most likely to cause World War III at this point, said that whoever's masters AI will rule the world. Andrew Yang, based on research by McKinsey, has predicted that one-third of America's jobs will be lost to automation by robots and artificial intelligence by 2030. But AI is coming in other ways, too. It has the potential to be the most ingenious creation of our time. It will change our lives forever when implemented at mass scale. Radiologists will only be able to detect shades of gray in scans of cancer patients that only AI can see. It, it will know how much we'll be able to sleep in order to optimize the lives we spend awake. It will be able to cause amazingly accurate predictions of investment portfolios and enhance our money that we put away from retirement. The crazy thing is, all of those examples I named are happening right now. Like most things, artificial intelligence is a tool. Well, actually, check that. Artificial intelligence is a scalpel. It has the potential to be an amazing piece of engineering that can restore human life, or can shave the skin off your arm and cause you to bleed all over the place. It's the usage that matters. However, with the usage of this tool, this digitalized scalpel, the, sca the stakes have never been higher. We have a dilemma on our hands. I don't think a lot of people realize how precarious this dilemma is. The decisions that we will make with AI will determine much of what happens to our world in the next generation. While smart people like our friend Peter Thiel don't think a Skynet-esque self-awareness could happen for another hundred years, and thank fucking goodness I'll be dead by then, we have plenty of chances to destroy ourselves on the way there also. But we also have plenty of chances to rapidly advance the population of the world as well. For a Miles Dyson that creates Skynet, there are a lot of Miles Dysons that could leverage AI to benefit the world in ways that could potentially astronomically optimistic efforts and effects on that world. We could leverage what would normally take human take human years to in a matter of months, maybe even days, using AI. And if this needs to be said at all, this is a dichotomy we probably shouldn't fuck up. But in order to not fuck it up, we must analyze it with honesty and with bipartisanship. Not that anyone who actually can do something about this shit will realize. I'm just a guy with a low-traffic internet blog and a shitty book, after all. In order to conduct our analysis, we need to look at why AI is such a big deal, the potential bad from it, we'll get that out of the way first, and the potential good from it, we'll get that out of the way last. The magnitude of these issues are important, and they must be conducted as they are, because nuclear holocaust is bad, except for the robots. To know why nuclear holocaust is even a possibility from AI, we need to analyze it further in order to see the genesis of this technology. To put it in very simple terms, artificial intelligence is a piece of technology that has the capacity to learn. A common example of this is the algorithm built into Netflix, which takes the shows that you watch and gives you recommendations based on things like the genre, the actors, the length, etc. The technology has, quote, learned your preferences of what you like to watch based on a sample of data that you have given it via your choice of preference of shows. This technology can be built into other things, too. 
and is only enhancing because of the other trends in innovation technology such as big data, neural networks, and quantum computing. With a certain artificial intelligence software, companies can now predict based on modeling who their best customers will be, who pays their bills on time, and what returns a certain investment will get out of the stock market, obviously discounting the potential calamitous effects of a strange beer virus from China, caving in the knee of the United States economy, uh, Vladimir Putin going on a nuclear holocaustic rage, hopefully not, I guess, but or not, I guess, hopefully not for sure, but those type of things. With data, possibilities for complex systems to be analyzed and learned are open beyond our imagination. Our minds are simply not built to handle mass amounts of information that they project. They'd probably explode, like Arena Spalco. So we outsource them to artificial intelligence to analyze them for us. With the information they spit out at us, we can use them to better our lives. See the example of Netflix earlier, as well as things like YouTube and social media algorithms. But AI is not just for the big players anymore. It is now being built into every part of our lives. Chatbots that populate web pages and call center workers that answer phones are now powered by it. QuickBooks has installed in their software to predict things like billing cycles and trends in cash flows. In the words of Mark Cuban, quote, This, AI, is the new space mission. It really is. End quote. He says it will affect even the smallest of businesses. With all due respect to Mr. Cuban, and I don't have a ton to begin with, I should be frank about that, I'd like to make a more bold claim. It will affect even the smallest person. It's already coming true. Have a social media account? You use AI. Order Chipotle or Starbucks over an app? You used AI. Have a butt plug of your preference recommended to you on adamandeve.com? You used AI. It is everywhere, and it is only getting faster. Over the last 150 years, I believe the argument strongly can be made that we've more, made more technological process than we have in all the time before in recorded human history. That is because technology has a snowball effect. The better it becomes, the more possibilities arise from it. As the snowball will get bigger and faster, rolling down a hill, it will become so massive that it cannot be stopped. And that's where nuclear holocaust happens, at least according to the Terminator. But if we don't get nuclear holocaust, unfortunately, I know, there are still other things that are happening because of it that could prove catastrophic. Everyone should care about them. The problem is no one wants to talk about them. I still don't understand why. People like Cuban and Musk have wanted to broach the subject for years, but none of our ruling class wants to bring it up. Odd? Not really. The most important sphere of influence in which the most devastation could happen is within the economy. Say what you want about whatever political ideology you subscribe to, but I'm a firm believer that the economy is the driver of most everything good that happens in our lives, besides our families, obviously. It gives us purpose, and it gives us what we need to survive. Income, health insurance, time away from our spouses so we avoid stabbing each other's eyes out, things like that. But due to the rapid advances in AI, the quote, big deal I talked about, the snowball rolling down the hill, could prove to be the biggest thing to happen to our economy in the history of even having an economy. Let me explain. And to explain, let's go back to the past 150 years thing. Because this is why it's such a big deal. Over the past 150 years, there have been four industrial revolutions. That's a fuck ton when you look at the length of human history. A lot of people, usually economists and historians, define them differently with different eras. I've talked about my definition of the four of them before, and I'll state them again for clarification. The first industrial revolution happened in the mid-1800s with the inventions of the steam engine, cotton gin, and industrial manufacturing equipment. The second industrial revolution happened in the early 1900s with the inventions of the process of process operations, most notably the assembly line perfected first by Henry Mord and the Ford Motor Company. The third industrial revolution happened in the 1960s and 70s with the invention of things such as computers, microprocessors, shout out to Miles Dyson, 
and semiconductors. The fourth industrial revolution is going on right now. That's the AI, big data, cloud computing, machine learning, neural networks, and other advanced technologies. The important thing I want to drive home here is not just that there were four industrial revolutions. The real impact of those four is that they compound each time a new one occurs. The technology gets better and more efficient quicker. It takes less time to develop. We see that from the time periods get shorter between each one, even if it's only for about a decade or so. And the technology gets better. Much better. This amazing ability for technology to become so much better and grow so much faster than what it is, is what the big deal is. I'm afraid that if we don't get ahead of that pace of technology, we can do some pretty serious damage to our world. Like, totally topple industries and countries serious damage. And, excuse me, to illustrate that, we're going to be comparing and contrasting two companies throughout the four industrial revolutions and see how this effect has been permeated. To keep it simple, let's use two companies that both start with the letter, this is actually really funny because this company's not named this anymore. Let's use two companies that both start with the letter F, Facebook or Meta and Ford. Ford was created in the first industrial revolution, seeing as Henry Ford didn't invent the second one yet. In those days, there was just one man who worked on one part of a car. For the purposes of our example, let's just say an engine. The first industrial revolution created the engine itself and made it possible to go places without walking or using a horse. It was awesome. That one man would work on an engine for a very long time until it was finished. He would do everything, put in pistons, the various tanks and valves, etc. It would take him a long time, but it would get done. Back in those days, there were not a lot of cars. There were a decent amount of car manufacturers, but no one to get ahead of one another for two reasons. The first was that cars were fucking expensive. All of that labor and materials and overhead isn't cheap, so only the uber-rich could get them at the prices the companies sold them at. The second was that, due to the long time it took to manufacture them and the cost to manufacture them, car companies couldn't really get the jump on one another. They all were competing using one man, the, or excuse me, the one-man, one, one one-engine business model. Henry Ford was puzzled by this. He didn't know what to do. He knew Ford made a great car. The engineering was good, the materials were well-sourced, the men were skilled. Why weren't they getting ahead? Ford deduced two conclusions, the same ones we reached above. The price was so high, so no one could buy it, which essentially priced them out of their own market. And the time to make them was too long, so they couldn't move faster than everyone else. Henry Ford racked his brain for years trying to solve this problem. But then a light bulb went off. Henry Ford realized that the one thing that he had going for him was actually hamstringing him as a company, the skill of his own men. He was depending so much on them to do so much that he was essentially kneecapping his entire operation. He wasn't being efficient, not even close. So, what Henry Ford decided to do was pull a gigantic fuck it and start his own industrial revolution. The second one. Ford set up conveyor belts in his factories and put groups of men on different parts of the line next to a box of parts. Their one and only job was to put that one specific part to the engine, on the engine. One man put the pistons in, one man puts the gas tank in, etc. Henry Ford realized that it was a waste of time for one man to put together one engine by himself that it would be to have one man help to get, put together 50 engines with a team. It was a no-brainer, efficiency personified. And the results that happened were magical. Ford Motor Company began to pump up product like it was nothing. They slashed the price of the market value of a car down to near nothing, at least at the time, releasing the Model T as the first affordable automobile. Ford not only improved their volume of sales, but they also seized the opportunity to capture a shit ton of market share, 
crushing all other wannabe car manufacturers in the process. The invention of process automation was then copied by nearly everyone else in the industry to create the efficiency within their own business. The productivity of business went through the roof as a result. The one-man, one-engine model was dead, stoned to death by process operations. Mark Zuckerberg was about still about 60 years away from being born. Facebook, or Meta, wasn't even a thought. But then, a bunch of computer nerds from the West Coast pulled another fuck it and wanted to start their own industrial revolution, the third one. Those nerds said, why have a process full of these expensive humans when we could just have someone automate the process? So, those nerds got together and built computers to automate those process operations. Companies like Oracle built databases to get rid of the process of manual data management, printing, and storage. Companies like Dell made computers cheap and accessible to use in their home, much like Henry Ford did with cars, to make ordinary people to be, do, do, to be able to do things like bills and expenses. Companies like Microsoft made software to fill computers like the one that Dell made to, provide, to pr make all those actions possible. This compounded the efficiency of the already efficient process operations, creating a whole other stratosphere for wealth for people to play in. But there was a problem. The manufacturers, like Ford, couldn't really integrate them that easily. Their businesses weren't built on technology, like Dell, Microsoft, or Oracle. Their businesses were built on manual labor. They didn't factor in the advancement of technology. And to their defense, how could they? These companies tried to catch up, but it was difficult. They made it by, and comfortably for some, but it wasn't easy. Mark Zuckerberg was maybe becoming a thought. Facebook was still decades away from being launched. Then another bunch of computer nerds who idolized the old computer nerds came around. Guys like the aforementioned Bezos, Musk, and Zuckerberg. They pulled the biggest fuck it of them all and created their own industrial revolution. The fourth one. Instead, instead of having something automate the auto, and someone automate the automation, why don't we just make the automation automate itself? And that is how artificial intelligence happened. That and every other big trend in technology happened and is happening because of that reason. And why wouldn't it? You don't have to pay AI benefits. You don't have to increase their salary by 5% each year. You just build the thing and watch it work while you jerk off to how much money it's making you. Facebook has been the most efficient company and effective company at doing this, in my opinion. It's the greatest company that's been created in my lifetime. Mark Zuckerberg, with his entourage composed of people like Andrew Bosworth, Chris Cox, and Sheryl Sandberg, have created this business model and made a company worth more than $600 billion in less than 20 years. It's nothing short of staggering. All that they needed was an algorithm and a network effect of people to spread the word. I bet their marketing team has approximately negative seven people working in it. Okay, so I get it. That was tedious, but I promise it has a point. Think of how our technologies have progressed. The effects are nothing short of staggering. In the early days of Ford, you needed tens of thousands of workers, multiple factories, a shit ton of money to pay those workers, a shit ton of money to keep the lights on, and a whole bunch of other shit. You made a lot of money, but you first had to spend a lot of money. Now, all you need is a 15-year-old kid, a laptop, a tutorial about how to code in PHP, and some server space. You'd probably get that for around 5000 bucks. If the kid turns out to be any good, he might turn that $5,000 into millions of dollars. That's a hell of an ROI. Any finance major east and west of the Mississippi would have creamed looking at it. There are reasons why certain industries like manufacturing and truck driving are scared shitless of artificial intelligence. Their companies are based on tangible goods, products, and people. 
companies like Ford need a whole lot of tangible goods and a whole lot of technology to survive. Facebook only needs an algorithm. There is a reason why Google and other companies are letting their employees stay home so long. They can. Ford could never do this. Their entire business is built on the backs of getting men and women in the building to do their jobs. They can't do it remote. It's impossible. So a question for you. What happens if the fifth industrial revolution happens? What happens if technology takes another huge leap forward? The destabilizing effect that that could have on the world could be catastrophic. Entire countries could cease to be economically viable, Germany being an easy target. Now if you want to talk about some people who hate Elon Musk, look no further than our friends from the Rhineland. If this Tesla making a profit thing continues, their entire economy could go to zero. No, seriously, it could and probably is happening right now. Ford could be decimated, as well as mainly, mainly any other company that looks like it. And why wouldn't they be? It's more efficient. It makes more money. This inequality of the concentration of wealth and power is getting larger and larger with no end in sight. It isn't just happening with innovation either. When the 2017 tax cuts were passed by Congress, both sides of the aisle, per usual, dogpiled on one another, constantly proclaiming that the other was wrong. The left claimed that the evil rich people would just hoard wealth and not give back to the company or its employers. The right claimed that the non-evil rich people would not do that. The problem was that they were both wrong. The left was wrong in the fact that they made, it, made an absolute. Only Sith do those. It's not wise to do them. The right was wrong in the fact that they underestimated some of the greed and efficiency obsessions of some of those people at the helms of these companies. My dad has worked in engineering, specifically manufacturing, all his life and is now a businessman in charge of running a lot of these manufacturing processes. When I asked about this, he told me that his company did do what the right had intended, as did a lot of other companies. They bought factories and plants, made capital investments, etc. These are good things. They did what the bill was intended for. But the rulers of Silicon Valley did exactly what the left said they would. 84% of all the stocks in America are owned by 10% of Americans, according to Financial Times columnist Rana Furahar. The biggest owners of said stocks, the people that own the biggest and richest companies, the people that own the biggest and richest organizations in the world, the rulers of Silicon Valley. The rulers of Silicon Valley use most of that money to purchase stock buybacks of their own companies, park it offshore near a trillion dollars, according to Furuhar, and buy bonds, all to bolster their own financial positions. They do not spend any money in a constructive way. Because why would they? They don't need to. But you know who did need to? Those companies whose industries are about two inches away from getting their throats cut by those same efficiencies. Technology companies, powered by AI, used that money to boost their financial positions. They were not forced to do anything. It was play money, like real-life life monopoly. Other companies, like Ford, had to rapidly burn that money to survive. They're clinging to a dying business model, hoping that artificial intelligence, or God forbid whatever comes next, doesn't step on their toes or throw them off the cliff like Scar and the Lion King. The inequality can only go so far. Jordan Peterson has predicted this multiple times. While he was the one to pioneer the, quote, Pareto Principles Universal Law concept, he also believed that society can only take so much before it collapses. And we will look at what potentially could happen in that collapse next. Don't worry, I promise it'll get better. However, like I believe most of you do as well, 
I always like to get the bat out of the way first. So now's the time, and here comes the hammer. The first potential bad that could come with the AI revolution will be the entire decimation of industries inside of business. Mostly, when people combine the, world, the words AI and business, a couple of professions come to mind, most of which I already named. Truck drivers, call center workers, manufacturers, etc. Well, if you assume, you would be right. Any, quote, unskilled, which is a fucking ridiculous term because every job has skill to it, work, such as working a line in a factory or driving a truck across the country, could be very easily replaced. There's an automated truck driving software that in simulations and tests has driven all rides to a 98% success rate. That's a pretty high number. The only thing that has presented it from laying, at the, laying the boom on the rest of the industry is that the other 2% is also a pretty high number when it comes to car crashes of semi-trucks. Exhibit A, you don't want your local 18-wheeler of produce running out of control off the road and careening into a school of young children. This is not good. How many of you have talked to an automated voice messaging system when you've called the main line of a business in the last month? The answer, especially during COVID? Mostly all of you. How about a chatbot on the internet when you went to look up a specific product? I bet a lot of you have too. Much easier than that tedious search bar at the top right corner. As you've already covered with the Facebook Ford example, robots don't need to eat, get paid, or receive benefits packages. They only need electricity and occasional fluids and maintenance to keep them running. That is, until Miles Dyson creates Skynet, but let's not think about that possibility right now. These all could very well happen with advancements in artificial intelligence. I, like it before, hate the word unskilled because the men and women who do these jobs most definitely possess skills. We don't demean another person's work, remember? That's important. It's all important. But the fact remains that some skills are easier to imitate than others. It takes more skill to draft the design for a hydraulic valve than it does to operate the lathe that makes the valve. Other examples follow suit as well. It's less difficult for anything, including an AI-enhanced object, to learn a task that's easier than another. That context is built right into the definition. This is where these easier-skilled jobs are in trouble. Their jobs are prime targets for disruption for two reasons. First, because of the reasons you've already laid out, they can simply be duplicated easier than other jobs. Second, because a lot of those businesses are far behind on the innovation curve, as we saw in the previous section. They need to spend more money to catch up based on things such as the relevance of their business processes and how many physical assets they own. And then to enhance these two options, those companies will bite at the opportunity, especially if it means saving their business. But what of industries that are not these industries? Could they be replaced too? And the answer is yes. It's happening right now. Self-driving cars are a great example. The main reason for self-driving cars, and most artificial intelligence really, is to eliminate the possibility of human error. Human beings, as we discussed many times, are imperfect creatures. We fuck up, and we fuck up a lot. Artificial intelligence removes that possibility. It makes it impossible for it to, for it to fail, because the algorithm won't let it fail. So what happens to car insurance, then? I'll tell you. It ceases to exist. Their market cap and stock prices go to zero. Why would anyone pay when there's no possibility of crashing? It doesn't make sense. It's not economical. Consumers are smart people. They know things like this. How about radiology? We're seeing this shift right now, too. Using artificial intelligence software, doctors and physicians can use these technology to see shades of gray the human eye can never hope to see. There's just too much variety, too much gray for our puny minds to comprehend. It's nothing for the machines. Who wouldn't pay for that? I sure as shit would. If any cancer patient, or if anyone getting a scan for things like cancer, would have the choice between an imperfect human brain and a perfect AI equivalent, I think they would agree with me. Good for the patient and the machine, 
bad for the technician whose job used to be relevant. These shifts will affect all industries and a lot of people in them. The amount of jobs that could potentially be displaced number in the tens of millions. And as we saw by the 40 million unemployment claims from, claims from the coronavirus, this can cause quite the strain on not just the people filing, but on everyone. Society is not meant to have that many people idle. We don't do good when we don't have some purpose. The number may not be 40 million. I would assume it would be higher, actually, and more permanent. But I would prefer not to play Russian roulette to see how close we can get. Which leads to my second point. Our economy and society is not based entirely on a free market. We're a mixed economy, meaning we, lo we let the free market run free while under the regulation of the government, except if you work in big tech, but that's another post for another day. However, I would still argue that we're about as free of a market as there is in any top-tier economy in the world. There's a reason that the rest of the world still envies us from a lot of angles. Capitalism is the engine that drives the economy, and the economy of much of the world, such as Sweden and the United Kingdom. Capitalism is an imperfect system, just like any system that ever has and ever will be invented. It can always be improved and, will, and it will never be finished. However, capitalism has always proven to be the best form of economic governments historically. There is a reason why Great Britain has been a world power for nearly a thousand years and Russian has collapsed, or Russia has collapsed on itself three times in the last week, including this week. However, much like we've seen with the COVID outbreak, Capitalism doesn't work well in all cases, global pandemic and potential world war being one of them, two of them actually. A lot of shade has been thrown its way. The calls for its abolishment to try another system like socialism or God forbid communism have only gotten louder. There are multiple reasons for this, too many to name in a blog post. But I've always known one universal truth about capitalism that I think reigns true for every single system on earth. People need to believe that it works. Think about it. If people don't believe that a system, or anything for that matter, works, then what the fuck is the point of doing it? It only makes sense, logically. You can only beat your brain against a brick wall for so long before you bust your skull and bleed all over the damn place. We're at a unique time period. As we've seen in the previous section, our technologies are advancing and building upon themselves at clips that we've never seen. The snowball is getting bigger and faster. Gaps are growing wider. With those gaps, just like excess, there is potential for a giant snapback in some form or fashion. Think the climate now is bad? Wait until full-time revolution starts to kick in. In this time of rapid acceleration, we cannot afford to stand still and watch it happen from the sidelines. We must adapt at the pace of what the market adapts at, or we will be left behind. Like any virtue, it becomes a vice when taken to excess. When capitalism is completely unleashed, efficiency reigns. And, like we talked about in a section ago, that is when the worst of capitalism can rear its ugly head and do some serious damage to a bunch of hardworking and innocent people. If capitalism does not evolve, if it does not suit the needs of the market, the market will consume the old version of capitalism and spit it out like it's nothing. It will eat it for breakfast and shit out of its remains. Unchained business ravages economies, just as heavily restrictive government regulation does. Both stifle competition and both monopolize markets. If AI is not checked and regulated fairly and frequently, I believe that specific technology will be the primary cause of that calamity. We need to be aware of capitalism as we go into the next generation. We need to make sure people know it can work for them and that they can create value for themselves within that system. We need to make sure so that it suits our market needs, which is increasingly becoming more intrinsic. If we do not, if we rest on our laurels and cling to our own ways, I feel the clapback could be something that will create serious consequences. Which brings me to my third point. 
What happens, particularly in countries that are democratic republics such as ours, hint there aren't a lot of the other ones, when situations tend to get worse and worse and spiral out of control? Well, naturally, people rise up to fix them. However, the ways in which they can do this are far, and can be far, from constructive. Fighting fire with fire can be a good thing in some scenarios. But fighting absolutism with absolutism and extremism with extremism usually doesn't work. The only thing that can happen, the only thing that happened where it did, and I can think of, is General Tecumseh, William Tecumseh Sherman's March to the Sea. We did win the Civil War and free the slaves, but we destroyed half the country in the process. It worked and we're better for it, but it was not a pretty process by any means. The way we see this now, thankfully there are no crazy things like total war going on here anymore, is mostly in politicians. Our political polarization is the highest it's been since America, in America since the Vietnam War era 1960s. It's truly a crazy and momentous time to be alive. Things are changing at a rapid pace, not just in technology, but in politics as well. The rise of political populism, ranging across the spectrum from the Bernie Sanders type left to the Donald Trump and Ron DeSantis type right, is the biggest example of this. The ruling class is under fire from both sides of the aisle. The amount of tear down this wall sentiment is high for both conservatives and liberals. While I'm no fan of our ruling class and their misplaced sense of virtue, there is danger to this populism as well. Anything taken to an excess becomes a vice. Always. Too much of the tear down this wall sentiment will result in just that. The tearing down of that wall. And that wall? It's the social fabric of our society. From both angles, this sentiment can be catastrophic if it is not balanced out. Populism runs high on emotion no matter where it comes from. And that emotion, when supercharged with toxic mob and anti-mob mentality, is where the danger occurs. Look no further than the mass riots and bizarre autonomous zones that appeared in downtown Seattle in summer of 2020 for proof of these in the, in the last couple of years. This slippery slope leads to the extreme abuses of power that we're seeing throughout our society. And as the potential to get worse, the powder keg of an election that we had in November and are going to have in this upcoming November, the four years after that and the four years after this will determine a lot of what happens with technology companies, specifically artificial intelligence. If AI technology keeps accelerating, and hint it will, the power of the people that makes it and the technology itself will continue to spawn. The four years that follow these upcoming elections will determine a lot of what happens in regards to that. So, that 15 minutes of depression was the bad scenario, and it's very real, at least in my opinion. There are too many signs that tell me it's not at least an impossibility. Most likely, it will be a blend between this scenario and the idealistic one, which I will lay out next. Okay, so I know, sad, I, I'm used to doing this, but no more doom and gloom for me today. I do it enough. It's a bad habit. But for real, let's not get lost in the sauce of all the doom and gloom. We need to rec realize why this technology, why any technology, to be honest, is being invented. The bottom line is that AI is being made, invented to make our lives better. It really is. I work with a lot of companies that are doing it. I don't think there's any number that can prove that, so I can't say for sure in terms of data but I don't think that so many of the top companies and leaders in the world would be so fascinated by and investing so much in it if they didn't have, think it had the potential to benefit the human race. And that is exactly the first point I want to make. 
technology, no matter what the technology is, is nearly always made in order to make others' lives better. You can debate mustard gas and things of that ilk, I suppose, on the other hand. It makes us work less hard and work more smart in order to achieve the better results over better results overall. I just totally fucked that sentence up. I'm sorry. The holistics of approaches are what makes them attractive to nearly all people. It's why the most groundbreaking achievements and advancements in technology, whether they be filtered water or the television, have been so widely adopted. Radiology will get better. Better radiology means more accurate scans of horrible things like cancer. More accurate scans of horrible things like cancer mean more accurate and quicker treatment of those horrible things. More accurate and treat quicker treatment of those horrible things make the patient's chance of survival of those things much better. These are good things. Driving will get better. Autonomous cars will make accidents a thing of the past. You won't have to worry about being tired or too drunk or too anything. You'll simply get in your car and go. No more drunk driving accidents. No more family members dying. No more horrible things on the TV we have to see. More efficient travel. Fire car sex. These are good things. Patterns like this will be all too common as artificial intelligence is widely adopted into practice across all areas of life. It might take some time, but these things are coming. There will be turbulence, but, like those autonomous cars, they will eventually arrive at their destination. And when they do, I'm assuming that we'll adopt them. We always have, no matter how disruptive the technology initially seemed. There must be another side of the coin. There must be balance. If there isn't, we risk succumbing to absolutes, and we cannot do this, only Sith deal in them. The bright side and the light side is still a choice if we choose to see it. Which leads to my second point. What we will do now is we will simply not have to do these things like some of our jobs and even simpler things like driving our cars. Well, that's where Andrew Yang comes in again. Andrew Yang has received a lot of pushback from a lot of people on his views on what he calls a freedom dividend. The freedom dividend, he proposes, would be an opt-in program to receive $1,000 a month from the government and was the central focus of his candidacy for president in 2020. Yang believed that the potential of AI was so huge and so disruptive that in order to feed their families and pay for rent, the government should supplement those losses of jobs. The money was to be modeled out by adding something called a value-added tax in companies which, according to the data cited from Yang, would more than pay for the program. But Yang also had a secondary motive for the freedom dividend. He pointed out a loss of hope and joy in a lot of people in the United States, particularly those in the heartland areas of the Midwest and the Plains. Yang believed that this $1,000 liquidity bump to every single American who opted in would increase the things that people actually enjoyed doing. Maybe he was writing, maybe he was starting a business, maybe he was spending time with family. And this argument has validity as well. The appeal of this, economically speaking, is something called the velocity of money. The velocity of money is basically how often money exchanges hands between parties. The main thing that affects this is the liquidity of people, which basically means how much money they will have to spend on things. Giving everyone in America $1,000 certainly help this argument. By getting rid of the dead weight that most meaningless activities and encouraging people to do those more meaningful activities, Yang thought it would be a boon to both creativity and entrepreneurship. And America could use a lot more of both. It needs it, and badly, because the numbers are not good on both. Good things happen when people optimize their activities. More technology will be born. More businesses will be started. More families will be created. More guys will follow in my footsteps and create more, traf more low-traffic internet blogs. The possibilities are endless. This is ascension personified. The act of pursuing higher meaning for the sake of pursuing higher meaning. It's the ultimate goal of my life. It's the ultimate virtue, and a true virtue of that. At that, excuse me. With AI making it easier for us to free time, who wouldn't want that? The answer, 
everyone would want that, given if it's a constructive solution in the first place. And why? Because it allows us to have better problems and develop bigger, better solutions to bigger problems. And that is the final point. That is why AI can be so huge. As we shed the meaningless in favor of the meaningful, we can adopt some of those meaningful problems and take them on with AI strapped in its holster. Entire companies are being founded upon this right now. Ashton Kutcher built human trafficking software using artificial intelligence in order to find children being trafficked on the dark web. He even went to Congress to throw it in their face. He will forever have my respect for it. His programs now continue to, save, to help and save hundreds. We're better off for it. Our healthcare system is a mess from a lot of perspectives. Using AI, we might be able to fix some of those messes and come up with better solutions. The machines are smarter than us and unburdened by petty things such as biases and human error. We should listen to them. Maybe someone could potentially use AI to figure out a way to more effectively grow better crops in Africa so people don't starve to death. Or better water purification systems so that same community and others like them have a consistent source of clean water to drink. People in Silicon Valley are building drones and robots powered by AI in order to create carbon capture technologies in the private sector. In deploying these robots, they can suck out carbon in the atmosphere and unburden our climate from disastrous effects that they believe will happen. I don't know the first thing about climate change, or I do, but I'm you know, hardly an expert. I'm hardly or any of those people, by the way, so be careful what you buy. And I'm skeptical goal about it, the effectiveness and scalability of most of the plans that help with these issues. But I have to admit, that's pretty damn cool. Without the burdens of tedious shit to hold us back, creators and innovators will be unleashed. New companies will be built. New problems will be solved. Better problems will be solved. All we have to do is let something else hold the weight. I, and many others, believe the thing that will hold that weight to be AI. If ascension is attainable, or at least the attempt to get it attainable, then this will happen naturally. People rise to the occasion. We use it to defeat communism, mostly, shaking my head, and the Nazis. We freed the slaves and helped African Americans establish civil rights. We used it to defeat the coronavirus. It's just what Americans and what people do. We are meant to progress. We are meant to further the human condition. We are meant to be more helpful to one another. I promise you that the, quote, hating everyone, everyone hating each other thing that's going on right now is supposed to be a thing. We're a lot better when we progress together, the law of averages and all that. I believe the non-anarchist opportunist response to the summer of 2020 is a great example of that. The brighter side can be seen, but the million-dollar question remains. Is it possible? I don't know if it is or not. I believe the terrible solution is more likely than the idealistic solution, as it is with most everything. But I believe it will be a mix of both, as it is with most everything. Technology, throughout history, has always shown to create more wealth than it destroys. But we've never had a situation like this occur as rapidly as this one has. The compound effects of technology that is this advanced are the likes of which have never been before seen. It's frightening how quickly it's advancing and how little people are taking notice. Mark Benioff, a ruling class hack, but a smart ruling class hack nonetheless, has predicted a fifth industrial revolution, one in which we will leverage the technologies built in the fourth industrial revolution to fix, quote, the broader problems of society. This all sounds good, at least in theory. The reality, however, can be quite different. Frankly, I don't know if a lot of companies can handle another industrial revolution. I don't know if they'd be able to bear the strain. We might fix a lot of shit, but we might break a lot of shit, too. The power that will be wielded will be single-handedly handled by the biggest and most powerful companies, more specifically big tech. That article will be coming, and did come, in a couple, we or a couple weeks ago. 
We must be careful. We must be balanced. We must practice empathy while also practicing innovation. While AI can do a lot of damage, we must not forget that it can do a lot of wonderful things too. I'm guessing Miles Dyson thought of that. But he accidentally destroyed the world in the process. So let's hope that James Cameron only wrote about the future and didn't predict it. Whew. Okay, that was heavier than I remember writing it as. But that is the AI dilemma, folks. It is a scary thing. It is a very real thing. And I hope we don't fuck it up. I sincerely hope we don't fuck it up. Because if we do fuck it up, that's, that's, that's going to be a problem, as hopefully you saw. But it's a very interesting thing to look at. I think it's one of the most underratedly massive changes going on in our society. We won't probably feel it until it hits us right in the face. But I think it's pretty cool. And I think it's really, really interesting to look at in a number of ways. So that's the post for this week, guys. That's the podcast for this week. Again, winding down as we go into the end of 2022, the last couple articles that I originally wrote on the OG Don't Read This Blog. Only a couple more to go. And I'll see you guys for them. So until then, open your mind, own the day. Thanks for listening, guys. See you next week. Hopping, stopping, hopping like a rabbit. When I take the Nino Ross, you know I got to have it. I lay back in the cut, retain myself. Think about the shit and I think it well. How can I make my grip? And how should I make that nigga straight?